Welcome to the Make Books Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Marlene Seegers, co-founder of Two Seas Agency, a boutique literary agency based in Ojai, California. Join me and take a glimpse behind the scenes of the international publishing world through my conversations with key players of the industry. My guests all have one thing in common. They make books travel, for instance, from one language to another, from idea or manuscript to published book, or from page to screen. Find out how they do it and why. Thank you for listening. And now on to today's show. Hello, listeners of the Make Books Travel podcast. I hope you all had a restful holiday and happy new year. Let's hope 2022 is gentler with us all. I also hope we'll get a chance to meet again in person this year. After dipping my toes again in in-person meetings in Frankfurt, I really hope the London Book Fair will take place in physical format. But I guess we'll have to wait and see for now, which we've all become used to. Today's guest is Manami Tamaoki, director of Tatomori Agency Inc. in Tokyo. We recorded this interview a little while ago when Manami just got out of a true virtual meeting marathon that took place before, during, as well as after the Frankfurt Book Fair. I definitely did not envy her. I just wanted to mention that at some point during the interview, Manami talks about the Swedish bestseller titled Smartphone Brain, which was indeed, as she indicates, the best-selling book of the year and topped several year-end lists in Japan. However, Manami would like to correct that it has won one award and not three, as she mentions during the interview. Manami and I covered a great number of topics, so let me bring you, without further ado, my interview with Manami Tamaoki. Hello, Manami. Welcome to the Make Books Travel Podcast. How are you doing? Hello, Marlene. Thank you for having me on your show. I'm really, you know, excited to have a talk with you today. Good, good. I'm very happy to hear that. And I'm also very happy that you accepted my invitation. I'm curious to find out more about the current state of the Japanese publishing market, the country's reader and book buying habits. And oh, there's so much more we can talk about. We just had a a small preliminary chat before I press the record button. And wow, yeah, a lot we can talk about. We'll see where this leads to. First of all, you're based in, in Tokyo and I'm based in California. I think there's like 16, 17 hours of time difference. So it's already the following day where you're at, morning time, and it's uh, it's evening my time. So I always love pointing that out during the podcast. <laughs> it's like, it's amazing that I'm chatting with you and you're just at the other end of the world. But anyway, so let's talk first a little bit about you. Can you introduce yourself to our listeners and explain what it is that you do and how you got to where you are now. Well, thank you. My name is Manami Tamaoki, and I am at um, Tadomori Agency Japan. I'm a director there. I've been with the agency for 29 years, and the area I've been focusing on during my career is nonfiction. 
You've been with Tatamori Agency for a long time already. You must have, yeah, so many stories and so many memories and such a good insight into the into the Japanese publishing market. I had no idea when when I invited you that you're really very very how shall I put experienced. So. Tell us a little more about the Tatomori Agency. So, as an introduction to to our listeners, Tatomori Agency is Two Seas Agency's exclusive Japanese co-agent. But can you explain a little bit what that means to our audience? Yes. So, Tatomori Agency is a co-agency, and、uh, we sell into Japan, and we've been doing that for this is our seventy third year. Wow! And、uh, <laughs> yes, and we also sell out of Japan, mostly into Asia, and、mm. uh, we also sell merchandising, and、uh, we license movies, and we put together, you know, shows. So we do a lot of licensing across borders, and we get to represent very good clients from abroad. So as Marlene said, we would often represent entire lists. And be committed to selling the list, finding Japanese publishers for the books over a course of time. Yeah, all right. That's interesting that you also sell merchandising. Perhaps we can、uh, get back to that in, a, in another episode <laughs> <laughs> recording, because I think that's a whole subject on its own. So,、uh, what about the situation in Japan, and more specifically in Tokyo for the COVID nineteen pandemic? I, I know that this is topic, recurring topic on the podcast, and we may all feel a little bit of pandemic talk fatigue. But I think it still is important just to get a little bit of a picture for everybody、sure. to see what, yeah, what it's like. When the pandemic started, industry wise, the bookstores started to close. Or were still open, but not doing too much business between April and June, that in 2020. And、mm. then,、uh, you know, we don't have a lockdown, but we were in a state of emergency for many, many months throughout the course of COVID-19. So we just、uh, came out of a very long SOE this year in 2021, from April to end of September. And during which the summer we also were hosts for the Olympics and the Paralympics、yeah. in Japan. So this was a difficult time for COVID nineteen.、Um, we had a lot of spikes, and、uh, we mostly also learned how to work from home and remotely. And we're now doing a hybrid way of working. So coming into the offices some days a week, and then also keep working from home, and being very flexible during you know as the pandemic situation changes. So、mm. life has been、uh, normal here in that sense, except、uh, we also had deliveries delayed, and our post office. Used to be very quick delivery, but、uh, they've announced that、uh, you know the delivery will be later than before, as the norm. So we're、mm. seeing this kind of constant change, which is also it was there before COVID nineteen took over the world.、Mm. Uh, it was kind of a you know change led by technology and you know our society and. Business was changing at that、mm. time. 
Yeah. And what was the impact of the pandemic or what has the impact of the pandemic been? Because we're still in it on your activity as a co-agent selling rights into Japan. Apart from the fact that you probably haven't traveled to international book fairs for a while. Yes, mm. we haven't uh, traveled to any book fairs or any anywhere during uh, these past 18 months. And that mm. has been the biggest change of mm. all. The way it's changed the way we communicate, it's changed the way we, you know, gather and assess information. I think it's very hard not to communicate with colleagues around the world, but also to not go into for, you know, bookstores or get Mm. a general sense of the industry by walking around the fair and, you know, places that we frequent when we take trips. So Mm. I think that has been the number one biggest change. But on the other hand, we've learned how to do calls over Zoom and, you know, other devices online. And uh, we recognize that um, actually communication can be done to some extent in that way, apart from the regular emails that we, Mm. you know, send each other. Yeah, we also just mentioned, as we were speaking a bit before I started a recording that you said you've just only wrapped up your Frankfurt or kind of bit quote unquote Frankfurt <laughs> meetings <laughs> on Zoom and that you sometimes have calls until midnight uh, <laughs> Tokyo time. That's just incredible. How do you survive? <laughs> well, you know, we're I think the time difference between Japan and the Western world is the largest one of the largest. So it's uh, 12 to 14 hours, uh, depending on the region. That's the biggest time difference. And we also have like eight hours or six hour time differences, depending on the you know region that we're working with. So where our online Frankfurt or book fairs start very early in the morning, it could start at eight or nine. And then the last meetings could start at 10 p.m. or even later. So that's why wow. you know you end up uh, working until midnight but this is just during the fair and we're you know usually quite um, used to this but not continuously for you know 2 months. So yeah. I think yeah. that's uh, that's what we were talking about weren't we? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely I mean I've noticed that or, and also by talking to people that I, I met recently in Europe on my trip, like because Zoom has become such a, an integral part of, of our meeting schedule, people tend to just like, have extended their meeting period. It used to be just a book fair yeah, or yeah, uh, maybe just a, right. maybe one, <laughs> one week before, one week after. But now it's yeah. just kind of like this never ending, nonstop, two month <laughs> meeting yeah. marathon. <sighs> it is it's tiring. There's an upside, there's an upside that um, yeah. we don't need to deal with jet lag. That is that's a true, huh? <laughs> oh, That's so true. Yes. <laughs> I definitely second that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So these meetings that you've had these last mm-hmm. couple of months are with international publishers or uh, ride sellers that sure. you represent, right? 
so do you now, you also do virtual meetings or Zoom meetings with the Japanese publishers that you oh, yes, work with? Sure. Yeah. Yes, mm. so we're co-agents. So once we yeah. have our meetings with the proprietors, we turn around and start to have um, meetings with our Japanese publishers who are our customers, I think, mm. um, and to introduce the books and the new ideas that uh, we get to take care of in Japan. Did that used to happen mostly in person, those meetings, or were you already doing a lot yes, of... Yes, they, uh, we used to have flux of people coming into our offices uh, mm. basically daily, and that has stopped during covid in mm. fact, you know, we're not um, encouraging anybody to come into the yeah. office, you know, to have meetings. So we've changed all that to online. So it's mm. a lot of online time and uh, we're mm. learning new things about online. And mm. it's amazing how the services, you know, upgrade and keep changing in a way that is very, I think, the norm of the technology industry. But Hmm. Very, you know, not always the norm for our publishing industry. So that's the lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah, that's a good point there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what were the, the publishers' reaction uh, in the beginning of the pandemic? You mentioned that there were store closures in the mm-hmm. beginning, the first couple of months. Were publishers very careful about publishing new books? Did they postpone a lot or mm-hmm. did it con- yeah. kind of continue as mm-hmm. as usual? Okay, well, talking about the translated books, uh, that's what we know about. Well, especially in the nonfiction field, we saw a lot of manuscript delays. I Mm. think that's to be expected because there was research was hard without travel and the libraries were closed and, Mm. you know, it's hard to set up interviews during pandemic, I think, uh, especially in the early days when we Mm -hmm. didn't know what was happening. So a lot of uh, deliveries were, you know, late. And then, so that is one cause. And then also after that, so when everything was delivered almost at once, of course, you know, there'll be delays. And also it's, I think it's a very human industry. So on the author side, there might have been those delays. There's also translators who you know, have families and they Mm. might have other, you know, they might have their own conditions as Mm. well as the publishers who also, Mm. you know, need to balance their, you know, what to publish when. So Mm. I think uh, there was uh, quite, um, you know, a year, some of the books were delayed a little bit more. But on the fiction side, I think, uh, you know, things were quite steady, Mm. as far as we understand. And books were published, you know, in a not so delayed time. And the delivery of the manuscripts were smooth. Yeah, Mm. as far as we Mm -hmm. know. Yeah. Yeah. And when the bookstores were closed, did any or did more uh, books were sold online or was there also a shift to ebooks and or audiobooks as we've seen in, in other markets? Or was that maybe already a trend that had started prior to uh, the start of the, the pandemic? Yes, yes. Well, that's a very good question. So while we don't have, I don't have comprehensive data on Mm -hmm. my fingertips, I'd say that, well, firstly, the majority of sales in Japan come from physical bookstores. Mm, So in 
2019, there were about that made up about 60% of the market. And mm. online books were about 15 at the time. Okay. And online bookstores have grown in presence during the pandemic, I mm. think as any other country. Mm. But um, I cannot tell you, you know, how much it's exact, grown, but it's, yeah. uh, it has grown. And speaking about ebooks so we were quite late in the market book wise i say that because we have a huge comic market right and still 90% of our ebooks are comics so wow Hmm. Yep. And during the pandemic, it has been growing from, you know, a very small number to, you know, a larger number. And now it makes up about a fourth of the publishing revenue in Japan. But, uh, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that 90% of that is comic books. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And so as you mentioned before the pandemic, I think you said in 2019, the bookstore, like physical bookstore sales were around 60%. Are there many independent bookstores? What does the bookstore kind of landscape look like in Japan? If there Are there many chains or, yeah, if you yes. could say some more about that. Yes, we have uh, both. So right now we're looking at uh, bookstores. We have about 11,000 bookstores and, you know, give or take 10% depending on the source of the reporting. Hmm. So that is maybe down 3.7% compared to the previous year. But um, consecutively, it has been, you know, declining for a long time. So it's half of hmm. what it was in 1999. Oh, and wow. within yep, and mm. within that during that period, we have major you know bookstore chains, but uh, mm. they have uh, you know merged mm. and become you know bigger, but also and the independents you know have uh, you know varying in size, and uh, so revenue wise, I think the major bookstores are going to be the you know majority but mm -hmm. uh, we do have independent bookstores and the interesting and fun thing is there are new bookstores which have a lot of character so yeah. you know there are these kind of bookstores all over the world so mm -hmm. we have them too so the, those are the fun things i think Mm -hmm. that are like very often like a part of a certain community and yes. attract like well, a very very loyal buyer <laughs> yes yeah. yes they could be like the hubs of culture so I know that Amazon because you mentioned also Audible exists in Japan so mm -hmm. I'm assuming Amazon also exists in Japan as a, as an online retailer yep. how big is the is the presence of Amazon and does it have any competition from other online retailers Mm -hmm. Well, yes, Amazon is a big presence. Of course, uh, they don't reveal their numbers, so yeah. I wouldn't be able to say <laughs> how much they are of the market. And also, it depends on what the publisher's arrangement with the online retailer is. So it would be very different, uh, you know, from publisher to publisher. But right. uh, also to the reader, they have increased their presence and especially during the pandemic and mm. possibly before that, they have started television commercials here and uh, reaching out to a wider audience uh, beyond the regular, you know, book audience. And of course, mm. they deliver and you can buy, 
you know, household goods and everything that is offered abroad. Mm-hmm. A lot of the services, maybe not everything, of course. And then uh, we do have a very large local online booksellers as well. They could be Rakuten, which is mm. the owner of Kobo. And mm. there's also a bunch of others that are run by bookshops, the bookshop chains. Yeah. Mm. And let's talk a little bit about the genres that sell well or don't sell well in Japan at the moment. What are Japanese publishers looking for these days? When you sit in, well, in, in a really meeting, broad question. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Well, is there like oh, well, let's let's narrow it down to you know adult titles and perhaps in, in just like trade fiction and nonfiction. I know that's still very broad, but well, is there? Let's put it differently. Is there one particular genre that you've noticed has really been on the rise, say since the pandemic or these last okay. couple of months? Mm-hmm. Well. Yeah. <laughs> so I did uh, take a little look at um, some papers before our talk. Mm-hmm. So to talk I about just that. the overview. Mm-hmm. Um, so for 2021, so far, the you know genre-wise, it's been so literary fiction, children's books, business books, quality paperback formats are doing well here, mm-hmm. and then. At the start of the pandemic in 2020, the paperbacks with modern classics or, you know, true Mm. classics and also study books for children were doing well. But these have come down in the second year of the pandemic. So I think that's uh, quite, uh, you know, the trend that other countries have seen as well. But um, that's happened here. And for the moment, so beyond that, so we're talking about the future, what people are interested in now. So these are the books Mm. of the future. And this is the nature of our trade. So this is a broad subject. But I think it really depends on the genre. But we have been seeing, you know, worldwide that the new kind of books that we're seeing are kind of blended books. I don't know if that's a word. So what has done quite well all over the world, to give an example, is, you know, where the crawdads sing by Delia Mm. Owen. So we've got to represent that in Japan. And that's now over 10 million copies around the world, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. um, Yes, it's much smaller here, but it still won, you know, translation book awards. She's an academic in the animal behavior sciences, Mm. and uh, she did field work in Africa. And um, she had a few academic books before she wrote her first fiction novel, which is The Crawdads, Mm -hmm. when she, you know, at also a later age, at um, 69 years old. So that also, you know, and the story is about, I don't need to tell the industry (laughs) people, but, you know, it has that mystery and it's the growing up of the child who is completely isolated and it's all the nature writing. And so that's a kind of a, you know, blending in a lot of areas. So I think Mm, the books we are seeing, Mm. yeah, I think the books we're seeing now from abroad and also published here have that, you know, kind of, it's hard to put into one genre. That's Mm. what I wanted to say. My challenge as a co-agent is getting people, publishers to take notice and step up to the challenge of publishing books that don't belong in any particular genre. Mm. 
Does that answer, is that enough? No, I haven't answered your question. So on the business, <laughs> um, so yeah. the business book side, we're, mm. we're finding a big change there. Well, looking at, I think I see it as a perspective from, you know, being a nonfiction person for 29 years in the translated book industry. Mm. I saw that, of course, you know, the business book used to be straightforward business books. So a lot of, you know, management or Mm -hmm. organizational theory and uh, Mm -hmm. marketing, you know, so, and those are still brilliant, wonderful books uh, that have such a learning experience. But on the other hand, the business people have started to expand what they read and, uh, you know, we've seen, they now read global history, liberal arts, sciences and of course with covid there's a new awareness of having you know being able to first devise like what is correct information mm-hmm. so right. there's so much you know misinformation disinformation so you need to get your information source right and i think uh, those books are you know being read by the business audience so as a genre it might be called a business book, but it's mm-hmm. uh, very different from what it used to be when mm. a lot of that meant MBA theories right. or management ideas. Mm. Interesting. And I'm assuming that the, n- the number one language that is translated into Japanese is English, but correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, that... definitely. You're yeah. okay. <laughs> spot on. And, uh, right. Okay. In that way for, uh, for a long, long time. Yes. Yeah. And, so, and what other languages do publishers translate? Uh, do they also translate a lot from other East Asian mm-hmm. languages? Well, not necessarily East Asian, but, you know, English is absolutely the number one language. And then uh, I think it's the second and third and you know those are french german spanish Mm. but they're they're much uh, smaller compared to the majority of the english uh, percentage Mm -hmm. and then you know we've also had um other european uh, languages like uh, swedish uh, finland denmark how about and then the asian (laughs) (laughs) how about dutch (laughs) yes And then uh, also the, you know, there's more from Korea, China, Taiwan, and other, you know, parts of the world, but uh, they are much, uh, you know, smaller in volume. But Mm -hmm. the interesting thing I see is that um, in our industry, one really large bestseller can really bring in so much into the, you know, revenue wise too so Mm -hmm. when there's one big book that really changes so the number of translated works and the revenue they bring in is not always the same which means Mm -hmm. the recognition is also very different and Mm. to mention particular book what is work the you know the number one book for the first half of the year this year it's called smartphone Brain. The author is Anders Hansen, and mm-hmm. he's from Sweden. And oh, he, interesting! Yeah, and that has yeah. uh, over half a million copies, and it's won uh, three wow. awards here. So that book can really make the market when you mm. you have that. Yep. Wow, that's so interesting. Smartphone mm. brain. Okay, all right. I'll look into <laughs> that. I uh, I hadn't heard of that yet. 
just as a follow-up question, do you know whether a success in Japan, other foreign successes for the same book, does the Japanese market get influenced by that or and vice versa? Does like a bestseller in Japan suddenly like also lead to bestsellers mm. elsewhere? Do you, I, I don't yeah. know if that's something that you've thought about or <laughs> and can answer, but... Yeah, thank mm. you for the question. So definitely when we license the books, we talk about them before they're often before they're published anywhere, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. at an earlier stage. So it's not a bestseller yet. But um, mm -hmm. for the books that uh, we license after they're bestsellers, that uh, definitely when it's a bestseller for, you know, a few weeks, few months, that, that makes a difference in the attention that the book can get. On the other hand, you know, it also depends on the theme, especially for nonfiction. I think nonfiction is really written for each audience, you know, in the country. So mm. same here. So you're not really thinking about maybe the international market when you're yeah. writing, you know, nonfiction intended for your local market. So mm. it needs to have that, you know, global outreach that is relevant to the Japanese market if it's going to sell into the Japanese market. So that, I think, is enormous factor. And the influence, yes, I do have a example. So some of the books that have become bestsellers in Japan selling, you know, over 300,000 copies, maybe a million copies, those books have, some of them, interestingly, have done performed the best in the Japanese market. So some of them would be like Kelly McGonigal or she is uh, at Stanford or Linda Grattan and uh, Andrew Scott's book. They're from London Business mm. School. And so these books have uh, the largest market in Japan. And wow. that is uh, mm. because they have uh, really, you know, caught the imagination or of the audience but also it's really relevant to our country mm. so and uh, in the case of um, Kelly McGonigal that was a Penguin Random House USA book and it was an Avery title that book uh, when it took off in Japan the Penguin Random House rights person is very smart and he sent the news around to all his co-agents around the world and he made a lot of licenses after hmm. the fact and then uh, it became a bestseller i think i heard it outsold us in china in a few <laughs> years and and i think it you know for different reasons and yeah all that but I think uh, we were able to contribute to the author's yeah. international success in a small way and mm. also for the other book we call it Life Shift but it's called The 100 Year Life that mm -hmm. really was relevant to Japan because Japan is the fastest aging country mm. in the world and we're also the longest living people in the mm -hmm. world so with a low birth rate. So with that combination, that's our biggest kind of important issue that mm -hmm. affects everything in this country. So mm -hmm. when uh, Linda had written the book and with Andrew on longevity and the one introducing the concept of 
the 100 year life that we're going to live that 100 year mm. life and you know how is that going to change our work and life experiences and how you know companies and governments also need to change with it so mm. that is a big conversation so that book's success got Linda on the board of our prime minister at the time had a 100 year life committee for oh. the Japanese, you know, as a Japanese government. So she mm. was the only, you know, foreign influence in that uh, committee. So I think the Japanese people are very open to learning new ideas from experts from around the world. And mm. I think that's where our nonfiction flourishes. So let's talk a little bit about exporting Japanese titles internationally, because mm -hmm. you mentioned you also do that at Tatsumori Agency. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we all know the big international successes of you know, the likes of Haruki Murakami. There's also the, you know, the manga titles. There is Marie Kondo, obviously. But can you tell us a little bit more about yeah, what is selling beyond those you know, quite obvious names and genres. Is anything else selling well as well? And where are the biggest markets for Japanese books, if there's any specific markets that you can think of? Yes. So we, volume-wise, we do the most business in Asia, Asian countries. So uh, especially China, Korea, and Taiwan, And uh, we have a team that sells regularly, you know, thousands of books to these markets from mm. Japan. So that is definitely our largest market. And mm. we, as you mentioned, as a sideline, you know, we also have a enormous creativity in the comics mm. market. And uh, we've been licensing that all over the world for yeah. the last 25 years. We have a special department focusing on that mm. so that is that happening and with the rise of the graphic novels abroad I think I don't know if uh, there might be possibilities outside of the genre publishers who are interested in not straightforward comics but those published as almost like a graphic novel so that is that mm. and then uh, selling to you know Japanese works to the world outside of Asia. So that is a newer, um, I think, uh, portion of our business. And mm. uh, I think a lot of um, authors and, you know, wish to be published abroad, especially in English or, you know, languages that, uh, that can reach a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of investment to be made in sample yeah. translations and, you know, even picking the right, um, you know, matching the right translator and, you know, all those things. And also under having a basic common understanding of how the business should be conducted with, mm. um, that is all still uh, very, you know, heavy discussions need to take place each time. Mm. And yeah. uh, right now, I think people who agree to be published abroad and, you know, be involved in some of the process yeah. of um, having a book published abroad, first, you know, we would get to introduce those books. And mm -hmm. for what uh, we often are asked for, I think a lot of people are looking for 
literary fiction or the kind of Japanese voice, the、mm. Japanese, you know, ness of <laughs> the work, but also、mm. that is relatable. So something slightly different but relatable. So, and what is that? That is what、uh, we co-agents are scrambling、mm-hmm. to get to you. And I、mm. think、uh, it's a promising market. But、uh, I think that's an area where. You know, personally, I would like to, you know, have more exchanges about、mm-hmm. that. Like, what、mm-hmm. are you looking for? What do you publish? So that、mm-hmm. would be a conversation. I hope that we could, you know, have more.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And do you see a trend that? Like Japanese publishing houses are also、yeah. setting up in-house rights departments, or is it still mostly agencies like yours who undertake the the efforts to sell Japanese、mm. titles internationally? Yes, I think、uh, some uh, publishers have、uh, rights departments, and we work with them. So、mm, we work、okay. very closely with the publishers. I think you know the publishers make an enormous effort to, you know, publish the books originally. So we work with them. Okay.、And、yes,、It's、and I think our、yeah. yes, and I think our role is really to. You know, work together, and I think、uh, as co-agents, our role is to sell creatively. Like, how can we, you know, bring in the cultures and you know, bind and identify like what would work in which country that is selling in Japan and also selling out of Japan,、mm-hmm. and with whom, and you know, with which publisher. So that is a. I think a very important part of our role, and also as a nonfiction expert, what I try to do, selling both ways, is to, you know, think about what can we bring in or you know bring out to enrich in the conversations and discussions that are happening locally. So,、mm. is there a you know kind of Japanese contribution that we could make? To the world about you know changing values or the transitions that we are experiencing as globally as you know human beings, and that I think、uh, you know that's exciting as a、mm. co-agent to be able to do that. And I think we are in a very unique position to understand the cultures from outside and you know between outside in Japan and to connect it because we are. Living in that world, and、yeah. that's our kind of main area of business. So we focus on、mm. creative selling, and you know how could we do that, and to make it meaningful, <laughs> mm. and uh, mm. you know to to make content meaningful. That's kind of what I I strive to do personally.、Mm. Yeah, you really are at the crossroads of Japan and then th- the rest of the world, and you have such a a broad knowledge of both what works internationally and also what works or what can work in Japan. So to to combine those knowledges, that's、uh, 
or that I don't know if that's <laughs> oh. I don't know if you can actually use a plural for knowledge but anyway to use that knowledge <laughs> it's getting late here so um, to use that knowledge is uh, it really puts you in a very special and, and unique position I, I do too I'm sure yeah <laughs> yeah but you know I definitely for selling into Japan I could never do that on my own I mean when I started out the agency 10 years ago I thought oh I can do everything by myself because I have you know I have connections I I can travel but oh that didn't last that attitude <laughs> I mean of course it also depends on your list uh, both in terms of genres and and in number of titles you know as you know the catalog that we sell is quite varied and we sell from different source languages and, it, and in very different genres. Oh. So we can potentially sell to many different publishing houses in each territory. So, you know, whereas if you're a right seller or a proprietor mm. with a very specific small list, then, you know, for instance, literary fiction, your scope diminishes. Mm -hmm. I, I guess it's easier to stay on top of a specific market. But then there's one specific market but then you also need to take care of the rest of the world so I think you know I'm very happy personally to focus on just a few territories where I've developed very strong connections and where we also you know we two C's act as co-agent for other right sellers you yes. know I'm thinking about the Netherlands obviously but also France and, and Germany and then let other territories such as Japan be handled by you and your colleagues because you just do it wonderfully well and I also feel that especially in Japan and Korea and in other countries where English is not perhaps not as well spoken or as easily spoken as in perhaps you know Western European or Nordic countries it just it makes it much easier to communicate with the mm -hmm. publishers when our co-agent is present I, I know that we've yeah. we've done meetings with Japanese publishers where you were present too and it was it, it just it was very very helpful yeah. just to communicate and there's also the cultural differences I mean I'd love to I'd love to visit Japan like once a year or so to really just like dip myself into Japanese culture but that's not gonna happen considering the time difference too, yeah right? <laughs> yeah exactly exactly so yeah I think yeah you're spot on when you say that you know selling creatively and understanding both the international and the domestic markets oh. is it's a yeah, unique Marlene. position I think also, you know, you curate your list, like you're yeah. curating from, you know, all over the world, what you mm -hmm. sell, decide to, you know, sell. So mm -hmm. I think as co-agents, we are able to kind of narrow, you know, filter, yeah. become like a filter to some extent. Otherwise, what we keep hearing from our customer publishers are that um, it's overwhelming. Like we share mm -hmm. a lot of the rights lists with the uh, mm -hmm everyone and they cannot you know I think it's hard to make a choice yeah and um also without you know context around it also mm -hmm. so where I see myself as uh, helping editors or publishers curate their lists mm -hmm. for translated yeah. works and also mm -hmm. you know there's the other reward of you know being able to bring in relevant content to our market that or to other markets that um add to the conversations new viewpoints you know that uh, could be points of discussion and enrich in you know whatever is going on there so that mm -hmm. is exciting yeah <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's talk about book fairs do you have a favorite book fair 
Uh, <laughs> or, or you just love all the book fairs that you, that you normally travel to. <laughs> I love all the book fairs. Hmm. You know, we go to London and then New York and Frankfurt. And, mm -hmm. you know, I wish we could go to more, but we mm -hmm. have to stay home and really, you know, be your advocates so mm -hmm. um, that's true <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but yeah. uh and my colleagues you know in the go to the uh asian book fair right so, okay yes we have mm -hmm. separate teams and, and sure. the children's yeah. book team of course goes to bologna so we yeah. have us uh, and then the you know comic team does the comic fair so mm. you know we have different people going to different yeah. fairs so as a company as an agency you know we cover a lot of fairs in mm -hmm. different genres i mm -hmm. think um i have enormous respect for the you know people who run the book fairs because it's uh mm -hmm. you know you're talking about 200 countries or more and you know mm -hmm. you know tens of thousands of people and making it a great experience for us agents as well so mm -hmm. that is so I, and, uh, you know, the fun is in the fair and outside the fair. So, and it's really about the people. So, and meeting new people. And I think that's a great experience. So I wouldn't be able to say like, this is my one favorite fair, mm -hmm, but, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. you know, it's, uh, when you're there, it's just very enjoyable. Yeah. Mm, mm -mm, yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's what you what you mentioned that you have respect to the organizations of those who organize the book fairs. And I just wanted to mention the the Frankfurt Book Fair organization, which I just went to last month. Oh, this and year. This yes. year. Yeah. Which is, of course, has been extremely challenging to organize. Mm. And I just wanted to congratulate them and just really, yes. um, you know, say hats <laughs> off for for what they they've pulled off because of course it was it was very very different than um, usual but it was just so well organized very streamlined there were some issues in the beginning the first day mm -hmm. or two with mm -hmm. all the you know the screening of the people as they came in there, uh, were, there were long yeah. lines uh, checking all the you know Sure. whether they got tested or whether they got vaccinated mm -hmm. and all that but oh, yeah. of course that is all understandable and and very necessary so I yeah it was it was really a very pleasant and and streamlined experience so I just I just wanted to give mm -hmm. a shout out to them <laughs> and yeah, your photo and you know yeah it's extraordinary and I I mm. think uh I think there's a lot of demand for you to do a separate podcast about that yeah you know I'm thinking about it <laughs> I am actually I am thinking about yeah. it yes so uh, to be continued so how about your personal book recommendations do you have any books that you'd love to that you're very excited about and that you'd love to to recommend to our listeners yes well apart from what we what was mentioned already well just off the top of my head, there's a beautiful, wonderful book by uh, Sir Paul Nurse called What is Life? And mm -hmm. he is a Nobel laureate in biology. And he's, you know, putting all his lifetime, you know, accumulated views of um, what is life as a biologist into mm. this book and explaining it in basically 200 pages in an essay style way. So 
that's also a blended book, I think, because mm. it mixes in a lot, of, you know, a bit of his career and all that. But he's uh, touched base with like, you know, Click and Watson and all that. So, so it's mm. a amazing as um, kind of a easy to comprehend. Uh, book that even children could read but also mm. adults have a lot to take away from mm. uh, during the pandemic so you know there's another book so we're leading the 100 year life uh, and that is there's a new book out here just published called the new long life and that's like a follow-up to the 100 year life so, so it's the same the author. One, mm-hmm. yeah so it's the same author and you know the first book really introduces the idea of living the 100 year life and the second book is really about how to do that mm-hmm. so and uh, I think it deals with all the you know radical technology changes that we are all going to like live with for our entire lives, I think. Mm. And, mm. you know, all the social structures and that um, the foundations of the previous um, up to this point is going to like keep evolving. Mm. And I think, you know, we need to get used to that. But we also want to, you know, live a nice kind of you know, enriched life in, and if your life is going to be, life expectancy is going to be a hundred years, you have more time to develop mm. as an adult. Mm. So, you know, there's lifetime learning and, you know, then it's also about investing in yourself. So you have a better, you have more futures to choose from for your Mm. future, for the sake of your future self. So Mm. I think that's really important and interesting. And so that is a favorite. And also going down that line, I found, you know, this fair that there's kind of a revival of design thinking books. And I find there's a lot of, you know, design thinking, many schools, but I, I especially find the Stanford Design School, D School books, easy to access for myself. Mm-hmm. And I really recommend, you know, this, the first book was a bestseller. It's called Designing Your Life. It's half a million copies in the United States. Mm. And it's sold, you know, 20 some countries around the world. And I got to sell in Japan, but it's uh, applying like design thinking, which is a process to a human life. Like that's mm. really, you know, innovative. It's an mm. invention. So first I was, you know, skeptical. But when I read and did the work, I started to do it. You know, it made sense to do it, share it with more people. So mm. I even started to run the workshop in Japan. So that's oh, how much that, that has influenced ah. me. And yeah. the new book is, you know, really on um, designing your new work life. And Knopp just actually reissued it with a whole chapter on uh, COVID-19, you know, with right. uh, when after COVID-19 started, mm-hmm. because it's really how to, you know, focus on improving your like work life with disruption when you have mm. disruption. And I think that's going to, you know, that's a, uh, kind of following on the radical like technology change that is going Mm. to influence us all throughout our lifetime so these are Mm. kind of like 
tools. And when you start, the interesting thing about design thinking tools is that when you start to use them, your mindset, you know, kind of naturally changes. Mm. So you're focusing on building forward rather than like sitting there and analyzing or worrying mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so this is um you know i think for sounds like people, i need I to I, it, sounds <laughs> like i need to read that <laughs> i found it really refreshing <laughs> and you know there's an also just and on that subject not to dwell too much but um there's a book by that um whole you know d school i think it's the executive director but it's like the best 80 exercises of all time in the history of the Stanford, you know, design school. It's called Hasso Plattner Institute of Designers. And the Mm -hmm. book is called Creative Acts for Curious People. And I think it's like a chock full of all these Mm. tools and that exercises that you can do. So I think, uh, you know, that is um, important in like building our way forward, like a, you know, designer, and a creator in life and so and business so those are that and i also wanted to talk about oh did you read laurie gottlieb's maybe you should talk, you should to, talk someone? to someone yes yeah. that was and so you know that whole you know book has so many good stories of her as mm. a you know psychotherapist and an author and i think she was a writer for television script, which mm-hmm. is, you know, a great way, so knows how to tell a great story, but also listening to so many stories from her patients, right? Mm-hmm. So so yeah. that is really, I think, a book about getting your own story right. You're telling yourself a bad story, and then mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. is pigeonholed you into yeah, a certain limiting place. beliefs and you need and, to like yeah. you know, break away from that so you need mm. to re-examine your story and edit it in parts and you know be able to tell yourself a new story and build your own story so mm. I think that's a powerful book but it was presented mm-hmm. in such an enjoyable way yeah. that it was uh you know great um, reading especially through during COVID it was mm. um you, you're missing that human communication and there's mm. all those human stories inside yeah. with the author's own story as a you know kind of propelling forward and you have an actual ending right so mm, yeah. so you have that and now did you know that there's a workbook published based on that so oh no, I, I, I didn't yeah so hmm. i think that's uh, going to help people like channel and you know their own narratives mm-hmm. that we need to make so i think that you know especially during covid and the pandemic and all that these are the books that i found very interesting apart from the you know a lot of fiction i read which i am not an expert of mm. but i you know where the crawdads sing or american mm. dirt or you know that and a lot of other things but mm. Yeah, I think uh, these are some of the things. There's also lifespan, which is, you know, the medical science of the longevity life. Right. So, hmm. yeah. It's a theme, so, huh? The longevity, yeah. long life. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Mm-mm. it's one of the, you know, technology yeah. transformations that's yeah. going to happen, that's happening in our lifetime. And mm. I, don't know, I think these are some of the. Hmm. books yeah that's a great list is that okay oh. <laughs> yeah 
<laughs> All right. Well, Manami, I've been taking too much of your time already. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. Before, uh, before I wrap this up, is there anything that you wanted to share with me and our listeners? Oh, thank you, Marlene. But I think mm-hmm. I have taken up uh, your time and everyone's time long oh. enough. So if anybody is uh, interested in anything about Japan, please feel free to reach out to me. And I hope uh, we can, you know, meet and do fun things together. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you Mm. for um, asking me on your show. Yeah, of course, Manami. It was my pleasure. Have a beautiful rest of your day and I uh, will speak to you soon. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. (laughs) All right, Manami. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to the Make Books Travel Podcast. I hope you had a good time and learned a thing or two. Check out the agency's website, 2CsAgency.com, for more information and resources about the international publishing scene. Oh, and if you liked what you heard, please leave a positive review. Thank you, merci et à la prochaine.